I want to thank all those who have led us in our worship this morning. And Alan, thank you for encouraging us and helping us to raise our voices this morning in our worship and song. Beautiful songs this morning. God is good. All the time. And in a world that doesn't offer a lot of hope, today is just another day in our life and in our faith walk that we are reminded that we find our hope in a risen Savior. There's a lot of people today putting their hope and their trust in a lot of different things only to find out that the only thing that really lasts in this life is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so the most important place that we can be today is not in a location, but the most important place that we can be is to know that in our hearts we are right with God. When you are right with God, you can be at peace with everything else. And so the fact is that every day for the rest of our lives can be shaped by these three monumental things that happened thousands of years ago that still shape who we are today. Jesus died, he was buried, and he was raised on the third day. That is amazing. And that is amazing love that God reaches down through the form of his son Jesus and touched our hearts. And I want you to listen to the words and watch the screen this morning as you watch this moving video entitled Amazing Love. I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted. You were condemned. I'm alive and well. Your spirit is within me because you died and rose again. Amazing love, how can 
be that you, my King, that you, my King, would die for me. Each gospel writer. The gospel of John stresses certain aspects of the discovery of that empty tomb. And one of the things that we find out as we go through John and as he portrays to us, here's what life is really all about. And he paints this picture of the life of Jesus leading up to his crucifixion and to his death and his burial and his resurrection 
And then as John sees the empty tomb, here's what we begin to realize from his gospel. The reality of the empty tomb changed everything. He went from doubt, he went from faltering, he went from questioning to faith. And there are some here this morning, maybe a lot of us, that we waver sometimes in our faith. Maybe we have a lot of doubts. Maybe we have a lot of questions. You know what, church? Guess what? You join thousands of other people from Scripture that had a lot of questions, that had a lot of doubt. But all of that can be erased knowing Jesus died for you, he was buried, and he was raised from the dead. The promises of Jesus came alive, and he believed that even over death itself, Jesus is Lord. And all through John's gospel, that's what he wants people to walk away with. He wants them to walk away with the fact that they can stand back from that risen tomb at the end of the day and say, Jesus is Lord. And so the tomb, you remember, had been closed with a large rock door. Go back to Mark 16 and see that. And it had been sealed by the authority of the Roman government, Pontius Pilate, there in Matthew 27. And they thought, man, not only is it closed, not only do we have it sealed, they thought this is a done deal. You know, there's no way that he can come out of this tomb. Oh, little did they know the power that God was about to work through his son. And not only through his son, but the power that would become available to all of those, as John says, who believe in his name. Folks, if you want to have power from God, you have to believe in his son. And you have to believe in his name because it stands for life. It stands for everything that you and I long to be. We can't have life without the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so for three days, here's what God does. He lets people just kind of have their own way of thinking. And so for three days, all the demons of hell rejoiced, and Satan and all the forces of darkness thought, man, we have won a great victory. And so for three days, the Jewish leaders and the demons of hell congratulated themselves, probably patted themselves on the back, thinking, man, look at this brilliant scheme that we not only came up with, but it's actually going to work. And then on the third day, it's almost like God's saying, okay, you've had three days to do what you want to do with this. You've had three days to kind of think on your own what you think's really going to happen. And on that third day, something wonderful and miraculous happened as God the Father said to an angel in heaven, go get them. And when the angel's feet hit the ground, the stone rolled away and up from the grave he arose never to die again. Isn't that good news? 
That's news that you and I need, not just today, but you're going to need it tomorrow. You're going to need it Tuesday. You're going to need it when you're in the emergency room with some family member. You're going to need it when the doctor comes out and says, I need to talk to the family. You're going to need it when life falls apart. Even when you think that life falls apart, it's not the end. Because that's where faith kicks in. And that's where we begin to realize that even if I die, and we will one day, that's a fact. We just prolong the inevitable here on earth. But when we die, we live forevermore. And the only way that that can become a reality is when you can stand and say, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Master and Savior. And when you look at Scripture, you can't help but stand back and walk away and say, look what he did for me. I'm not sure we can really fathom that. Because we live in a time where we think, you know, here's what God did for me. Now I feel like I need to do something back to repay him. The only thing you can do to repay him is just to say, I give up and I submit to your lordship. Because there's nothing I can do to earn it. There's nothing this side of heaven that I've surely done to deserve it. And so why don't we just give it up and accept the fact that not only did he die for you, but he offered you the greatest life here on earth, and then you get to spend eternity with him. You're not going to find that offer anywhere else. And yet there are people who still say, not today. I might do that tomorrow. I might consider that next week. Why? Why do you put off the greatest offer on the table? And as we live out our faith day by day, we pray that somebody will look at us and say, I need to talk to you about what you have. I need to talk to you about what you possess because I need that. That's an open door, an open door of opportunity where you let God in and you let God do the work. And so it must have seemed like an eternity, those three days after the crucifixion. But listen to this beautiful picture that John paints in his gospel in John chapter 20. Early on that first day of the week, while it's still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw the stone had been removed from the entrance. And so she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. And then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb, and he saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth 
that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. And finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Now, I want you to look in verse 7. And I want to show you something that you're not going to find in any other gospel. Gospel of John tells us that that napkin, which was placed over the face of Jesus, was not just thrown aside like the grave clothes. So I'm so thankful that in John's gospel, he takes an entire verse to tell us that that napkin was neatly just over to the side, folded up, and was placed at the head of the coffin. Is that important for us? You bet. Is it significant? Absolutely. And so here's the story behind it. You've got to understand a little bit about Hebrew tradition of that day. That folded napkin had to do with a relationship between a master and a servant. And every Jewish boy knew this tradition. Because when the servant would set the dinner table for the master, he made sure that it was exactly in place I mean, nothing out of place. Everything was right. The table was furnished just perfectly. And the servant would wait just out of sight until the master had finished eating. And the servant would not dare touch that table until the master was finished. And here's how he knew if he was finished or not. If the master was finished eating, he would get up from the table. He would wipe his fingers and his mouth and clean his beard, and he would wad up that napkin just like you and I do. And what do you do when you finish with that wadded up napkin that's just filthy? What do you do with it? I did this last night in Dallas at a restaurant. I just threw it on the table. And I thought of this story. Because here's what happens. In those days, the wadded up napkin meant, I'm done. I'm finished. And that's what it means when you and I get up from the table. But if the master got up from the table, folded his napkin, and set it aside at his plate, the servant would not dare touch the table because the servant knew that the folded napkin meant this. I'm not finished yet. I'll be back. And so in John's gospel, do you see how important that is? That folded napkin says, hey, he's not finished He's coming back. Well, what do you do with that? I mean, they had never heard of that in their life. But as you and I stand on the other side after the fact, what we begin to realize, wow, faith kicks in and it just says, this thing really happened because we know now for a fact he is coming back. Do you realize, as we sit here this morning, if Jesus is not on his way back, we're just sitting here just wasting our time. Do you realize that? But knowing that Jesus is coming back for his own gives reason every day, even when you don't feel like it, It gives reason every day to wake up and realize this is just another blessed day 
given to me by God to live for him. And as we've heard in this song this morning, what we want to do with our life every day is to honor the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So I wonder this morning, what are you doing to honor the King of kings? Or maybe what we should ask is, what's not happening in my life that's keeping me from showing honor to the one who died for me? If every Christian in the world would make it their goal every day to just wake up and say, what can I do today to just honor my king? This world would be a brighter place. Just honor the one who gave life to me. And so, after the fact, we sit in the same room, the same situation that the disciples found themselves in. Jump down to verse 19 for a moment. And I want you to listen to these words. As Jesus appears to his disciples, he says, On that evening of that day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. What do you see in that room? You see, here's a fact. Jesus didn't die for us to beat ourselves up. He died to set us free. But how often do we go through life really giving ourselves a pretty hard time and beating ourselves up over everything under the sun? Folks, Jesus didn't die for you to do that. He died so that you could be set free, so that you could live and serve for him. And so when you look in verse 19, what do you see in that room? What do you see after betrayal? What do you see after disappointment? What do you see after sin? What do you see after the fact? What we see then we still experience today. And the very first thing that jumps out to us is this. We see fear. They are so afraid, they've got the doors locked in fear of the Jews. And it's very obvious and it's very real that the disciples are scared to death. And so even after they've witnessed this resurrection and they've seen the fact that Jesus has to come, he has to be around here somewhere. He has to be coming back because he's not in the tomb. Man, you would think that they would be, I mean, just joyful and just shouting and all of these great things, but they're still scared to death. They're still living in fear. And if you think about it, fear is real to all of us, isn't it? Fear is something we all have to deal with. And here were the disciples of Jesus sitting in failure and betrayal and confusion and disappointment and shame and guilt. And last time I checked, we all experience all of those things and a whole lot more 
only to realize Jesus came to do away with all of that. He doesn't want you walking around in shame. He doesn't want you walking around in guilt. He wants you to realize, here is the life that I have given for you to live and to be my people. Now honor me by living this out. You know what fear is? Fear is nothing but this. It's false evidence that appears to be real. And you know who's driving that boat? Satan himself. Satan does everything he can to paint the picture of fear in our heart so it does nothing for us but to paralyze us in life. What does Paul say? The sting of death is sin. Where, O death, is your victory? That he overcomes the world. We don't have to live that way, do we? We can rise away from that and live a new person. But fear was real for them, and it's real for us. And most of the time, it comes because we don't understand what we're seeing. But even when we don't understand what we see, if somehow deep down in our soul, if we could only realize that Jesus is really in control of everything, then that means there's a lot of things in life that's out of my control. There's a lot of things in life that I don't need to worry about because God is going to take care of that. And so not only do we see fear, but here's what else we see. We see forgiveness. And it's demonstrated by the first words out of Jesus' mouth when he entered the room. Peace be with you. Now at this point, you might expect to hear something like, hey, where were you guys? You know, what have y'all been doing? Where have you been? But no, from the very beginning, you see what he does? He starts out with forgiveness from the get-go. Peace be with you. How often do we fail to keep forgiveness by bringing up someone's past? We never bring up our past because it's easier to bring up somebody else's. Really? Can we not just realize that because God forgave us, we have no choice but to forgive other people? And so how ironic it is that as he enters the room, doesn't start with passing words of judgment. He starts by saying, peace be with you. And then after that forgiveness, we see faith. And here's where we come in today. At various times in our life, our faith kind of wavers, doesn't it? Our faith is not as strong as we would like for it to be. Jesus is the one, when he comes to us, he restores our faith. He restores life back in to us. So do you see that? God the Father breathes life into us, and Jesus the Son 
comes and restores faith anytime we need it. And I don't know about you, my faith needs to be revived and it needs to be restored on a daily basis. And I bet yours does as well. So we see faith restored. We see faith shared because here's what happens. The disciples in turn, they witnessed to Thomas and brought him back the next week and they immediately began to obey the assignment that had to do with sending them off and they did so by going to one of their own that they knew missed out on this experience and they brought him to them and said look at what you missed out on that's your assignment this week somebody said the other day patrick why have you been giving homework to us when we go to school for that, you're just our preacher. Maybe we haven't done a good job as preachers in giving challenges and homework enough. And so my challenge to you, just scratch the word homework, my challenge to you this week, go encourage somebody that you hadn't seen in a while. That's what they did here with Thomas. I mean, they went after him. Now, they did it because Jesus said, go get them. So hear that from Jesus this morning, not the preacher man. Jesus says, go get them. Will we do that? Will we go encourage somebody that needs to be lifted up in their walk? Maybe they haven't been here in a while. Maybe they're down and out. May, who knows? But you might just be surprised if you just say, I've missed you. There's no telling how that conversation will go do that because it all boils down to this in john chapter 20 look at these words jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book but these are written so that you may believe that jesus is the messiah the son of god and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's what it boils down to in the Gospel of John. Believe in Jesus. Will you do that? And if there's anything that's standing in your way that's keeping you from being a believer, I'm going to tell you this morning, it's not worth it. Nothing is worth sacrificing your relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so because he is Lord, he wants to be your Lord, and he wants you and I to honor him every day. Let's stand as we sing this morning. <laughs>